Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here with all of you. I hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend so far. If you're a Georgia fan, it's a great Labor Day weekend so far. Listen, I'm a, that better not be the loudest celebration we hear this morning. No, I'm a Georgia Tech fan, so one thing we consistently do well is lose. So, you know, for all you Clemson fans out there that need help learning how to navigate new life as supporting a losing team, come find me after church. I got some good points. I've, I've, I'm an expert by now. I, I do want to take a moment, though, to pause and, and just celebrate that we are in one church in multiple locations. So maybe you're watching online or on demand, wherever you are, I just want to say welcome to the creek, and also I want to celebrate our South Augusta campus. We're so excited that you're joining us this morning. Yeah, God is doing some crazy things there, and we're just so excited to be a part of, of that second harvest that's already here. Well, we've just uh, finished an incredible uh, season of 21 days of prayer. I know it's been mentioned already before, um, you know, right after 21 days of prayer, we also had an incredible, incredible revival. There's so much uh, encounter with God that we had there, so many lives that were changed, including my own. I mean, we, we've encountered God as a healer, as a redeemer, as a savior. I mean, so much happened over revival. So today, I want to take a moment to encourage you in the next season. I think we can all agree that God is, is moving here as a church, not just as a church, though. He's moving in us as individuals as well. He's moving in our communities and uh, I really feel like he's, he's sparking something new and moving across our nation and the world. And I, I just really, I'm thankful to be a part of that. So it, it brings me to this question. What happens after we have an incredible blessing, after an incredible revival like we just had? Now, a couple of things I know to be true from here is that one is that the encounter that we had over the last few weeks was not an emotional roller coaster. It was not something that was temporary. It was not fake and, and full of, of other things. It was a very real encounter that we had with a very real God. I think we can all agree that, right? We serve a very real God and we had a, a great encounter with him. And because of that, because that his encounter is not temporary, it's meant to go beyond revival and prayer we know that, that we are called to help people take their next step, the Great Commission. We are called to, to go and make disciples of other nations so that they too can encounter what we have been encountering ourselves. The second thing I know to be true is because of this, because God is stirring new things up in our life, we have a very real enemy that is on edge. He is scared because he knows that things are happening at Stevens Creek Church and in our lives and in the world of believers all around the world. And so he's going to try and get us to doubt everything that we've just experienced. And sometimes that comes in forms of chaos, like fear and anxiety and, and, and worry and, and doubt. See, there's a story that I want to share with you today that, that we can kind of learn from, a story that's found in Matthew's gospel that prepares us for the enemy's distractions moving forward. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It's a common story about Jesus and Peter walking on the water in the middle of a storm. 
So before we, we really read it, I, I want to give you a little bit of context. You see, before the storm, what happened before the storm is that, that there is Jesus and his disciples and 5,000 people. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, Jesus was teaching and encouraging the people, and they were just they were soaking it in. They were having an encounter with Jesus. Well, the disciples knew that they were away from um, some a, a, a long way away from places where they could get food and, and shelter and that kind of thing. And so they went to Jesus and said, it's getting late. Maybe we should send all these people home. Well, well, Jesus, being the miracle worker that he is, was like, wait a minute, why don't you just feed them? And they were like, well, we have nothing but two fish and five loaves of bread. And so Jesus said, well, bring it to me. So he, he brought the, they brought him the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He broke it and to begin to distribute it among his disciples. And then he said, we'll feed the 5,000 people. What's amazing is that as they began to distribute the food, more was replaced. And not only that, but they had 12 baskets full left over. It was an encounter with God. Now, on the other side of the sea, there's this town called Jesare. So we will find out, and I encourage you to go and read all of Matthew chapter 14. On the other side of the sea, they landed in a town called Jesare. And the Bible says that every, they, the people knew Jesus had arrived, and if they could just touch his hem of his garment, then all would be well. And so the Bible says everyone who touched the hem of his garment was healed that day. What I find interesting about the story we're about to read is that it's in the middle of a storm that took place in between two amazing blessings. In Matthew chapter 14, let's read it together. In verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So this happened right after they fed the 5,000 people, right after that miracle. He made them go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, and it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And so they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, it says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. And, and so he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So you may be asking, what's the correlation between the story that we just read and where we are today as a church and as people. Well, let me start here. Imagine uh, looking over a crowd of 5,000 people and you have a handful of fish and, and, and bread and Jesus says, now go and feed them all. I imagine the Bible says that Thomas was the doubtful one, so I'm sure he leaned over to James and John and was like, listen, I love Jesus, but he is really bad at math. I'm glad he's not in charge of the money. Now, but, but in obedience, they did exactly what Jesus had said done. What's amazing is that as soon as they handed out more food, even more was replaced. See, this was a supernatural, not a temporary, not an emotional, this was a supernatural encounter with Jesus. 
Now, how does that relate to us? Over the next, or over the last few weeks of prayer and revival, we have had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. We have experienced healing and salvation, redemption, forgiveness, and so much more. And this revival was a turning point for what God wants to do with us here at the creek, what God wants to do for us as individuals, and in the world around us. But just like Peter finds himself in Matthew's account fighting against a storm right between two amazing blessings, the enemy comes to try and get us and to distract us with a storm in our life that often follows incredible blessings. He wants us to forget about God's power and forgiveness and goodness in our life. So here are five practical lessons that we can learn in the storm that may follow. Five lessons that we can apply from Peter's, from Peter's account here with Jesus. And this is the first one. Moving forward in obedience is always better than going backwards in disobedience. In verse 24 in Matthew 14 it says, But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. You see, at this point the disciples had been rowing for a long time. They haven't just been rowing, they have been fighting a storm. The Bible says that the wind was against them, so obviously the, the waves were against them, pushing them uh, back to where they came from while they tried to earnestly push forward in obedience. You see, it would have been so much easier at this moment, and maybe a little safer if, if we think about it logically, for them to just go back where they came from. I mean, Essentially, all they would have had to do is turn the boat around, and, and the waves and the wind would have done all the work for them. But instead, they continued to push forward in obedience. Now, had they decided to go back in disobedience, they would have missed exactly what Jesus wanted to do in their lives and for them in the storm. They would have, they would have missed the power of Jesus walking on water. Over the last week, we've seen God do some incredible things. And I know I keep saying it, but it's, it's worth repeating. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him set people free from addictions and sin. We've seen him uh, restore marriages and relationships. We've seen him uh, bring people to faith, urge them, and draw them into him. And, and seen people be filled with the Holy Spirit, with power and with gifts. And when that takes place, and when God starts to stir something new up in our lives, like I said, it puts the enemy on edge. He doesn't like it. So naturally, he comes against us to kill us, to destroy us, to distract us, and to distort what was real in the encounter that we had. So that may come in the form of hardships. You may have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and ever since you got filled with this new power, it seems like everybody at your workplace has come against you. Like they, they are just, it, it's, it's you versus them. And it just seems difficult. It, it doesn't seem normal. Maybe you and your spouse had just rekindled your relationship. There is a redemption in your relationship. And now you're having to have hard conversations. And these hard conversations are difficult and, and they don't seem easy or, or even like they're going very smooth. It just seems like life has just become more difficult. And maybe the thought has popped up in your head that before the encounter that you had, life just was just so much easier. That there wasn't as much 
oppression taking place and opposition happening in your life. And maybe you're questioning the validity of your breakthrough in such a way that the enemy is trying to convince you that you should just go back to the way that it was before. Let me encourage you, you are, if you are currently walking that journey, if you choose to abandon what God has done in your life, then you're going to miss out on the greatest blessing of what he wants to do in you and through you. That God, God has moved in your life, and it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by a temporary emotional debate that you had to your, by yourself. It was because God is good, his power is real, and he wants to use you for something more. You may not see it yet. It may be hard, and you may have to navigate through some, some rough wind, some hard terrain, some difficult conversations. But you can't forget what God has done in your life. See, God is going to show up in, in a big way and do amazing things through each and every one of you. I believe that. All he asks is obedience. Just obedience to where he's calling us to go. What he's calling us to do. And if, if that isn't encouraging enough to just keep going forward in obedience, here's some hope for you. It's the second lesson that we learn in our scripture is that God's presence is never far from us. Listen, you're not called to do this alone. God is not telling you to go row into this new season of your life without the promise that he will be there to sustain you and help you every step of the way. In verse 25 in Matthew 14, it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, there is never a moment in this story where Jesus is far from the disciples. Even when he was on the mountain praying alone and the disciples had gone on ahead of him, he was never really away from them because he knew exactly when they were going to need him most. He knew what they were going into. In fact, the Bible says he sent them into it on purpose. And when the time was right, Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea. See, the, the storm that caused so much heartache for the disciples had no power, no authority over the Jesus who walked right through it. And when the moment was right, he showed up. I love Jesus' response to them thinking that he was a ghost. He said, take heart, it is I. See, Jesus' words in this moment speaks directly to his deity, to who he is. If we, if we really dive into the meaning for a moment, you'll see that Jesus was saying more than, hey, look, it's me, the, the man that you, you just fed 5,000 people with. Oh, when Jesus says, it is I, he is saying a Greek term. It is ego and me. In the Old Testament, we, we see this same term used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And Moses is commissioned by God in the form of a burning bush to go and free the Israelites from slavery. Now Moses, of course, having a speech impediment, maybe doubting a little bit, like he's talking to a burning bush. He said, well, okay, that's great, but, but what if they say, what if they ask, who sent you? And God's reply was the same. He said, tell them the I am sent you. He was saying, ego and me. God's response wasn't full of 
intimidation and, and adjectives of destruction. Like God could have said, like, tell them I'm the God that will send plagues down on them if they don't listen. Tell them I'm the God that can bring fire from heaven. Tell them that, that I'm the God that, that can, uh, has all authority over all the angels in heaven and on earth that can, can fight on your behalf. No, he, I think he did this intentionally because it wouldn't adequately express who he is. So he said, simply tell them, ego and me, tell them I am sent you. What he was communicating is that he just is, that he is God that he isn't reliant on anything for his existence. In the beginning, he was. And when it's all over, he will be. That he is not reliant on logic or, or, or by time and space, that he is God and that he can do anything. And so when Jesus came to them now in the New Testament and said, tell them that it is, or he says, it is I, he was saying, ego and me. He was saying that, that to be calm in the storm, because I have full authority over the storm, that I am endless, that I am utterly independent, that I am uh, what the universe depends on, that I am full of healing and power, and I can, I can calm the storm with just one word. He is saying, ego and me, I am God. And today, he's saying the same thing to all of us. Maybe you find yourself in a storm now. He is saying, don't be afraid. It is I, ego and me. It is I, God. And that's all we need. Which brings me to the third lesson that we find in this storm. It's this that, and it's important, never allow your storm to distort God's goodness and his power. In verse 28, 14, it says, uh, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, contrary to the way that the story is often preached, this isn't a story about how little or how much faith Peter had in Jesus. The story, though, is about the object of Peter's faith in this moment. When Peter asked Jesus to give him the power to walk on water, he truly believed that Jesus could do that for him. That's why he stepped out on the boat and came to him. The issue is when Peter began to sink, it wasn't that he lost faith in Jesus because the Bible says immediately he cried out to Jesus to save him. He knew that Jesus had the power. The problem with it is that when Peter began to sink, the object of Peter's faith shifted. The storm around him became the object of his faith. And when that happened, his faith in Jesus and his power was distorted. When I was a teenager, when I say teenager, I was, I was yeah, that's a teenager, 15 years old. I have to do my math. I'm, not, I'm bad at math. So. Um, when I was a teenager, we, we, me and my friends, we, a group of us, we went to a state fair. I don't know if you've ever been through um, a house of mirrors or a maze of mirrors, whatever it was back then. I, I don't know. But anyway, there was a tent set up, and it was a house of mirrors, and a guy had encouraged us to go through it. And being 15 years old, um, you know, there was a girl that I liked, and she's like, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I was like, absolutely, it's going to be so much fun. Well, let's do this. And so, uh, you know, I, I went in there, and, and, and I quickly, quickly realized that 
all of the mirrors kind of distorted the way I looked. You see, some made me tall, which I really liked. Some made me buff, which I really, really liked. Some gave me a small torso, and some gave me little legs, which I didn't like so much. But the reality, the theme of it was that the mirrors distorted what was real. It distorted the reality of the way that I look physically. Over the last few weeks, between prayer and revival, many of you have experienced God in new and amazing ways. You've been healed, set free from addictions, found forgiveness, rekindled relationships. You've been endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts that come along with it. You've experienced a blessing. But just like the fun house distorted the reality of how I appeared physically, we have a very real enemy that comes to distort the reality of the experience that we had with God. He comes to distort God's goodness and his power in our life. And maybe he does that through whispers of doubt, like, well, you're still sick. The doctor says it's still there, so obviously the miracle didn't really happen. Maybe he does it through fear. Well, just give it a week, and he's going to start drinking again. He always does. Whatever it is, the devil wants you to forget what has happened. He wants you to forget the encounter that you've had over the last few weeks. He wants you to forget what has happened and what is happening and what's going to continue to happen in our lives and at the creek. And he wants to remove God and his goodness and his power as the object of our faith and replace it with fear and worry and anxiety and sin and anything that really takes our, our, our objection, our, our object of our faith away from God and puts it on something else. See, Peter lost sight of what was most important. The object of his faith, the I am, Jesus. Today, God wants to remind you that he is still good and he is still powerful. That he is still the same God that was in 21 days of prayer. That he is still the same God that was in revival. And even today, he is still the same God that can heal, restore, save, and deliver you from whatever you're going through. That he is good and powerful. And don't let the enemy distort the reality that he is God. And he is good. The fourth thing that we learn in this story, this storm, is this, that our storms open our eyes to the power of God. In verse 31, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got, back in, or when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Listen, as if Peter needed any more experience of God's power. Listen, this is the same Peter who saw the first miracle take place and then every miracle that happened after it. This is the same Peter who literally just had a handful of food and fed 5,000 people as if he needed any more reason or any more experiences with God's power to fully believe. But the storm played an important role in Peter's life. See, the storm revealed to Peter the areas of weakness still in his faith. See, Peter, he knew God could help and sustain and, and save him. He, he's experienced it firsthand. But there was still an area in Peter's life that needed to be exposed. 
an area of weakness. Here's what I would say to you today, that you know God is real. You encountered him and experienced him. But sometimes the storms in our life reveal to us the areas in our life where we still are weak in our faith. Peter needed a reminder that sometimes life gets hard even after a blessing. Even after a miracle, things happen. And Jesus can still rescue and sustain. After all, this is the same Peter that in just a little while, when Jesus is resurrected to heaven, he's going to be the cornerstone of the church. He's going to be persecuted for his faith. And so he needed to fully and wholly understand and rely on the power of God like all of us do today. Let me, let me explain it like this. We have this amazing volunteer at our South Augusta campus, and every time she volunteers, she brings uh, Dunkin' Donuts, jelly-filled Dunkin' Donuts. Now, it's a variety pack, which is great. I'm not complaining by any means. I have no reason to complain. But I'm not, I'm, I don't like all of the jelly-filled donuts, okay? I'm not a fan of all of them. So what, what our, our volunteers at our South Augusta don't know in, in, until right now is that I take you know, my fingers and I kind of push through some of the jelly. And a lot of times I do that without washing my hands. Now, I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Y'all calm down. All those out of South Augusta, ooh, ooh. no. I'm just kidding. I, I don't do that. I, put, I, poke, I poke it with a poke. I po- poke it with a fork. That's right. Come on, y'all got me messed up. I poke it with a fork to see what jelly is inside of it. In the same way that squeezing jelly out of a donut exposes what's inside, when Peter is squeezed by the storm, his doubt is exposed. His weakness is exposed. But not only is it it exposed, but it's expelled and it is replaced by the power and stronger faith and stronger trust in who Jesus is. Sometimes, like I said, Jesus allows us to go through storms after a blessing in order to expose where our faith is still weak, where we could still grow. And then Jesus strengthens our faith by by showing us who he is. See, the promise in the storm isn't that it's going to go away. The promise is that, that it's going to reveal to us and open our eyes to the power of who God is and what he wants to do in us and through us. Now, this is important in our purpose, because like Peter, Peter wasn't just called to experience these miracles. He was commissioned to perform them as well. And in order to do so, he had to have any doubt, any lies, any fear removed from him so that God's power could be made perfect through him. The miracles that you've encountered, the power that you've received, the redemption that you've gained, it's not the end of your journey. You're not just called to experience God in this new way. You are commissioned to help other people experience God in the same way and the same power that you have. And so God sometimes uses these things in our life after a blessing, after a miracle, to expose us and to get us ready for what's coming. This is a turning point. God is just starting something here, y'all. He wants to do something amazing in this church and through y'all. And sometimes it takes going through some hardship like a storm to expose where our faith in him is still weak. And then he encourages us by replacing it with, with power and with love and with grace. And all this brings me to my fifth and final lesson that we learn in this storm 
that not only does our storms have the power to, or have the, uh, the opportunity or they open our eyes to the power of God, but our storms also open others' eyes to the power of God. At the end of Peter and Jesus' exchange, they got back in the boat and the winds and the waves ceased. And here's what happened next in verse 33. And it said, and those in the boat, those watching, those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Not only were Peter's eyes open to who Jesus is, but the eyes of all of those who were watching, all of those who were inside the safety of the boat watching this encounter take place, all of their eyes were open to the power of who Jesus was. God desires that you see, know, worship, glorify him above all else. And God will use what you go through to achieve the same thing in other people. Not only that, but he will use what you're going through to help people who are going through the exact same thing that you are going through. Here's what, what 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful. He is a merciful Father. And he is the source of all comfort. Now, here's what I love about this next part. And this is what we should all be taking hold of. He says, and he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. So that we can open their eyes to the power of God. And he says, when they are troubled, we will have or we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Some of you have been going through some unspeakable storms, and this week you received a breakthrough, but I want to be bold right now and tell you that the storms that you were facing before the breakthrough, the things that you've gone through, they were not in vain. They were so that not only your eyes would be open to the power of God, but others' eyes would be open to the same power of God. Here's just a few of the things that's happened in revival to, to you who was deaf in one ear. You received healing during revival. I would say that, that the waiting was, was not in vain. There is somebody here that's listening or at our South Augusta campus or here at our Augusta campus. Their body is being wrecked by disease and pain. And they need to know that there is a God that still heal, heals. Your story can impact their life. To you who was never had a relationship with Jesus. And then you were randomly invited to revival one night. And at revival, you realized that you were desperately missing something in your life. It was the salvation, the relationship with Jesus. And so you came to faith that night. I wanna say that the moments before that were not in vain. What led up to that was not in vain. There is somebody watching online who, who thinks they're too far gone for, for Christ to save them. And they need to know your story. To you who was, you were filled with the Holy Spirit and the power and the gifts that came with it. And you've been waiting for that for so long. I want to say your waiting was not in vain. There is someone here today who is seeking a fresh encounter, a new encounter with God and the Holy Spirit. And all that he has to offer, your story can impact their life. See, this month we received a blessing from God. See, those blessings, they didn't stop on Wednesday. 
the miracles that God performed in revival, they weren't temporary. They weren't just for that season. God is the same in the revival. He is the same right now, today, in this moment. And so what, what happened in revival, the encounter that we had in, in revival, opened our eyes to the power of God so that we can boldly stand here today and say, God, I am ready for what's next. No matter what comes against me, I am ready for what's next. It was a turning point, y'all. The last few weeks was a turning point for what God wants to do in our church and in our lives. So now we can stand here boldly and say, God, what is next? God, what do you want for my life? God, where is it that you want me to go? What is it that you want me to say? What is it that you want me to do? God, I will follow even in the midst of the storm because I know your power is real and nothing the enemy does can distort that reality from my life. Can we just stand to our feet? See, Peter's journey in this boat, the story that we read, the encounter that he had, it didn't start in a boat. It didn't start feeding 5,000 people. It started with two words, follow me. And then everything changed. So here's what I would love to do. A lot of today I've been speaking to the encounter that, that we've had over the last few weeks. And uh, I hope you were able to join. Some of you, maybe this is, this is your first time and you're like, I've never even had a relationship with Jesus. How can I experience his power? Two words, follow him. So today, the most important prayer we can pray is the prayer for salvation, the prayer to know this God who loves, to know this God who redeems, this God who saves, this God who has all power and authority, this ego am I, he is God. So I wanna pray two prayers, the first one, being for those of you who have never experienced God in your life, you've never had this conversation with Jesus, I want to pray that you would accept him as Lord of your life. And then I wanna pray that, that over the next few seasons of our life, while the enemy is on edge and trying to get us to forget what happened, that he would just pour out his power and his goodness on all of us. So can we pray together? God, I don't wanna rush through this next part because it is the most important part for somebody. Somebody watching online, somebody here at Augusta campus, somebody at our South Augusta campus, they've never had the conversation with you and said, Lord, I will follow you. God, this is the most important conversation that they can have. And so God, right now, if that's them, I just, I just pray if you're comfortable, just open your hands to receive what God wants for you. Just, just repeat this prayer with me. But remember, it's, it's, it's not the prayer that you pray, but it's the, the object of your faith. The object of your faith can't be the prayer, it's gotta be who you're praying to, the Savior. So pray this prayer with me. God, I accept you. Jesus, I will follow. God, I believe in you. And I confess everything I have to you. God, I am lost, but, but God, I know you have the power to sustain my life, to free me from addiction, to free me from sin, to free me from fear, to free me from depression, to free me from anxiety, to, to free me from suicidal ideations. And God, I lay that down, God, and I pick up your grace, your mercy, your healing, your power. 
and nothing that the enemy throws against me will ever be big enough to keep me from moving forward. And so God, now I pray a second prayer for everyone here today, Lord, that they would, they would ignite in faith and make you the object of their faith. God, that your name is above all other names, that you are ego in me. God, pour your spirit on us with power. There is no rival. There is nothing that can distort our faith or your power or your goodness in our life. So God, we give it to you, God. We are encouraged by your love. We are encouraged by your power because your name is above all other names. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Let's worship God together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.